What is justice? What is justice? Justice is giving a man or a woman their due. Of course, it, it, obviously it does still yet involve um, restraining and punishing those who do evil. Absolutely, it does have to do with those things, clearly. But justice in the broader sense, in the deeper sense, has to do with giving what someone is owed to them simply because they bear the image of God. They've been made as a human being, made in the likeness and the, uh, the image of God. And we ourselves are made to do this, to give justice, to love justice, to pursue justice, because we ourselves have been made in the image of the God of justice. So you see, because we have been made in the image of a God of justice, according to His likeness, every one of us is hardwired to long for and love justice and to hurt and to feel the pang when we fail to see it, when we see the signs of injustice in this, in this world. So think with me just at the societal level, just news over the last few weeks, the shooting of Ahmad Arbery in Atlanta, horribly unjust. Or, broadly speaking, at a societal level, you can read about this wherever you want to, you just Google this, the, the situations on Native American reservations as the coronavirus was moving through, has been moving through those populations, and how those populations have suffered proportionally in an undue manner because of an inadequate access to health care facilities that's been there all along, and now the weight of the coronavirus has exposed that. That's unjust societal level or at an individual level. Many of us could identify with this. False tales told of you or a job that was promised to you taken away. It's unjust. It's unjust. We, we, we feel something stirring and it stings within us, whether at the societal or the individual level. And there's something right about that, that we would feel the pang and the, the pain of that. But what do we do with it? What do we actually do with it? What does the Bible have to say in terms of what our response ought to be to injustice? Well, the text that we're going to look at together here this morning takes us in that direction. Psalm 10. Uh, the last few weeks, we've been looking at some of the Psalms, and we're going to continue to do that over the, the spring and on into the summer, actually. Psalm 10 is a, is a powerful text and well worth our attention here this morning. So if you have a Bible, I'd ask you to turn there with me now. Psalm 10, uh, if you're trying to find that in your Bible, it's just right there in the middle, basically. Just open it up right there, dead center, roughly. You have the Psalms, and Psalm 10 is where we are this morning. Hear now God's Word. Why, O oh Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? In arrogance, the wicked hotly pursue the poor. Let them be caught in the schemes that they have devised. For the wicked boasts of the desires of his soul, and the one greedy for gain curses and renounces the Lord. In the pride of his face, the wicked does not seek him. All his thoughts are, there is no God. His ways prosper at all times. Your judgments are on high, out of his sight. As for all his foes, he puffs at them. He says in his heart, I shall not be moved. Throughout all generations, I shall not meet adversity. His mouth is filled with cursing and deceit and oppression. Under his tongue are mischief and iniquity. 
He sits in ambush in the villages. In hiding places, he murders the innocent. His eyes stealthily watch for the helpless. He lurks in ambush like a lion in his thicket. He lurks that he may seize the poor. He seizes the poor when he draws him into his net. The helpless are crushed, sink down, and fall by his might. He says in his heart, God has forgotten. He has hidden his face. He will never see it. Arise, O Lord, O God, lift up your hand. Forget not the afflicted. Why does the wicked renounce God and say in his heart, you will not call to account? But you do see, for you note mischief and vexation that you may take it into your hands. To you, the helpless commits himself. You have been the helper of the fatherless. Break the arm of the wicked and evildoer. Call his wickedness to account till you find none. The Lord is king forever and ever. The nations perish from his land. O Lord, you hear the desire of the afflicted. You will strengthen their heart. You will incline your ear to do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed so that man who is of the earth may strike terror no more. Well, can we pray for a moment? Lord, thank you for these words. Thank you for the, the whole of the Psalms, this prayer manual, this songbook that you have given to us that we would learn to sing and to pray. Thank you for showing us, taking us by the hand, and showing us how to express ourselves, what is good and right and appropriate especially in this case, in the face of injustice. And if we would have but eyes to see, we can see so much of it all around us and in our own lives. We ask that you would help us, though, to deal with it, to respond to it in a redemptive way, in the ways that you call us to. And thank you. Thank you that we, for the hope that we have in the just one, the righteous one, who has come to make all things new, all things right. That day has dawned, and one day is coming in full. In His name we pray. Amen. So what is the Christian response to injustice? Let me give you three. The Christian response to injustice, and these are in, in, not in order of priority. In fact, they are all of equal weight in priority and, and significance. The first one being simply this, take heart. What is the Christian response to injustice? Take heart. Take heart. One day, one day, all that is crooked is going to be straightened. All that is broken is going to be healed. All the filth of in injustice in this world is going to be cleansed. The king has come. He is coming again. The kingdom has come. It is coming in full. Take heart. That is good news. Take heart. That's part of the Christian response to injustice. Following equally up, uh, quickly up on that, of equal importance is not just take heart, but get to work. Get to work. As we take heart in, uh, in, in being able to see what God's heart is towards injustice, at the same time, He calls us to follow Him, right? And therein, our priorities, excuse me, His priorities and His agenda become our priorities and His agenda. So as we take heart, we see His heart, we see His heart for justice, 
we are then impelled to work for justice, impelled to, to move and to act in whatever ways that we can, in whatever spheres of influence that we actually have and can move into. We are not only to take heart, but we are to get to work, and we should be emboldened as we see what His heart is for justice even in this world now, emboldened and encouraged as we make those steps. So take heart, get to work, and here's the third one, of equal importance, and this is the focus of the text this morning, Psalm 10, pray. Pray for justice. Pray for justice. Take heart, get to work, get on your knees. Pray for justice. That's what we see here in in Psalm 10. How? Lament. Lament. We were talking about the prayers of lament. We began that with that last week. Uh, And we're moving on in that this week, and the plan is to do yet more of that next week. To lament. What is that? Well, what would that mean? What would that mean in particular? To bring our protest to God to file our grievance with God, to lodge our complaint with God. And you say, wait, what? You want me to lodge a complaint with God? What does Psalm 10 show us? That's what the text shows us. The way in terms of how we pray How we come to Him and lament is, yes, to lodge our complaint. The Lord knows our struggle with injustice, and He calls us to come with our complaints, to come to Him with our complaints. Now, what would that look like? You can see that here in the text very helpfully, very beautifully. It's four steps. It's there in your outline. If you've got it with you, if you're there at home, you can see it there. The four steps. First, ask your questions. Ask your questions. Secondly, Express your concern. Express your concern. Thirdly, make your appeal. And fourthly, rest assured. Ask your questions. Express your concerns. Make your appeal. Rest assured. That's how we make our complaint. That's how God shows us we make our complaint to Him. Let's look at this, these in, in turn. So first, the, the need to ask, part of the complaint is to ask our questions. That's where we begin. We see it in verse 1 very, very clearly. Why, O Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? Those are striking questions when you think about it. Um, questions in, in general, asking of God, are, are worth thinking about. And it's completely natural as you take in, in each hand these things, what we know of God to be true and what we see going on in the world around us, you bring those two things together and your heart, your mind is going to be filled with questions. Filled with questions. And the truth be told is that the longer you live, the more questions that you will have because of what you know to be true of God and yet at the same time what you see going on around you in the world. Those questions are completely natural, normal, right. I did a search on just this thing just this past week. In the Psalms, in the Psalms, you can see at least 10 times direct questions posed to God along these lines, two of which are here in Psalm 10. But, but direct questions of why, 
Why, why, why, why? You see it again and again through the Psalms. So it's natural. It's right. We see it here in in the Psalter. That's questions in general. But specifically here, let's think of these questions here in verse 1. In essence, the psalmist is saying two things. One, why are you so distant? Why are you so distant, O Lord? You have revealed yourself and shown yourself to be the one who has pledged himself to his people. And you've you've shown yourself and said yourself to be our deliverer, our defender. Where are you? Where, Where are you? Why are you so distant and why do you seem so disinterested? Just look at the bluntness of what he's asking here in verse 1. Why do you seem so distant? Why are you so, so disinterested? It's, it feels as though you've withdrawn from us, O oh Lord. It feels as though that, that you're ignoring our plight. Why? Why? Well, that's where such the, the godly complaint begins with asking the questions, and you see it here very clearly in Psalm 10. As I said earlier, this is the, the prayer book that God has given to us as people. This is the, the song book that He has given to us as people. So you know what that means. If, if these are the words that we find within the song book, within the prayer manual, you know what that means. It's not that we're, you, you can, you're given bare permission. Well, okay, if you have to say this, okay, I'll let it go, but don't let it go to your head. No, it's not that we're given bare permission to pray this way. We are invited and encouraged to pray this way. We know that because these words are right here in God's Word. Does that make you nervous? Are you afraid of what might happen, you know, if you go and lodge your complaint against the God of all heaven and earth and somehow... Something might happen. Let's get serious. This is how he has shown us how to pray. He can handle it. Let's be sure he can handle such questions. He's not going anywhere. So we begin with asking of the questions. He knows our struggle with injustice. He says, come with your complaint. And the second part of that is expressing your concerns. So you ask the questions and you express your concerns. We see that in verses 2 through 11 very, very clearly here. Uh, the, the psalmist is, is just appalled as he looks around him and he sees at the, on the horizontal level and the, the vertical level uh, Godward insult and manward in, in injury. Godward insult and manward injury. And it looks on the horizontal, the vertical plane, appalled by what he sees. The Godward insult. Look at just verse 4. In the pride of his face, the wicked does not seek him. All his thoughts are, there is no God. Now, this is what you could call practical atheism. It's, it's not an outright denial of the existence of God but it's a denial of the involvement of God. You see the difference? He's so far off, he's, he, we're good. That's what this is. It's a practical atheism, which then flows into and is connected directly to what you could call a presumptuous thinking. And you see that there in verse 11. He says in his heart, God has forgotten. He has hidden his face. He will never see it. 
this, the wicked man, the evildoer, feeling in such a way, thinking in such a way, has just an utter disregard for God, completely confusing God's patience for blindness, confusing not acting and withholding His hand with not seeing or there being no hand at all. And, and the, the evil that you see there and the folly that you see there on the vertical, the Godward insult, naturally, horrifically, inevitably overflows into the horizontal plane, a manward injury. They're directly connected. And you see that here in, in the psalm. The, in the, the worshiping of desire. The worshiping of desire. You see this in verse 3. For the wicked boasts of the desires of his soul. Now, that, that word boast, it ha- in, in the Hebrew, it has the connotation of the, of the deep affections of the heart, that which we praise, that which we admire, that which con- constitutes the very compass of our lives, that which we pursue and give ourselves. It's the language of worship. It's the worship of desire, one's life completely oriented on your wants. And so we see that flowing in, the worship of these desires, the pursuit of the wants into the prey upon others, the preying upon others. Verses 8 and t- through 10, let me just read that again. It's so striking, so sobering, but it's where such a heart's bent takes us. He sits in ambush in the villages. In hiding places, he murders the innocent. His eyes stealthily watch for the helpless. He lurks in ambush like a lion in his thicket. He lurks that he may seize the poor. He seizes the poor when he draws him into his net. The helpless are crushed, sink down, and fall by his might. That's the dynamic the worshiping of the desires, the preying upon others, and thinking them there to be no consequences whatsoever. That's the dynamic of this as you see it unfolding here. So, the psalmist is showing the need to exp- as we're expressing our complaint to, to, to lodge our complaint, to express our concerns specifically. The Godward insults we see the manward inner injury, excuse me, that we see, and to be specific about that. Not, not being satisfied in just vague generalities, but to be very specific. To, as the psalmist shows here, to name the things that we are seeing, to name them, to call them out, to allow our prayers to be, to be sharpened and specific. And, and the effect of that is that they no longer rule us. They no longer control us. The, the, the sense of bitterness begins to lift just, just a bit as we begin to pray in that way, expressing our concerns with specificity and detail. Again, the Lord knows, He knows our struggle with injustice. And He says, come, come with your complaints at Ask your questions, ask your questions, 
Uh, express your concern. And then thirdly, make your appeal. Make your appeal. You see this in verses 12 through 15. Be bold. Be bold as you make this appeal. You see that in verses 15 and verse 12, the beginning and the end of this appeal. The verse 15, being bold in this appeal, break the arm. That is to say, um, take away the strength. That's, that's the Hebrew idiom, what that means. Uh, break the arm of the wicked and evildoer. Call his wickedness to account till you find none. Or going back to, uh, to verse 12. Arise, O Lord, O God, lift up your hand and forget not the afflicted. So in essence, what he's saying is, oh, God of justice, bring this madness to an end. Bring this injustice to an end. You are a God of justice. Oh, would you act? That's what he's saying. Now, but think of what he's, he's not saying, what is implied, especially as you think in terms of verse 12 and the language there. To say that, God, would you arise? Oh, God, would you lift up your hand? Would you forget not? Is, is to say, in essence, what? What is he implying that he is feeling? I know you're not distant. I know you're actually not disinterested. I know that you do see. I know that you do hear, but it doesn't feel like it. Again, taking what we know and wetting that with what we see and bringing that into His presence in prayer. Be bold. Be bold as we make the, the appeal. And be clear. Be clear. You think in terms of, of how the, the psalmist is, is uh, naming and listing back to the Lord in prayer. Some of the very words you see there in verses 12 through 15, some of the very words that he has been unfolding there in verses 2 through 11 as he was uh, expressing those concerns, some of the very things that the, the, the wicked were saying and doing and acting, the ways that they were acting, you know, saying, look, they're, they're saying, Lord, all is well, all is fine. Um, he's forgotten. There will be no reckoning. No trouble will come upon me. And what is the psalmist saying is, is for, you know, in terms of his, his, the, the cry, the cry of the psalmist in response to the claims of the wicked, Lord, show forth your strength. Show forth your justice. Break his arm. Break their strength. Bring nothing but trouble upon them, O God of justice. Make your appeal. Make the appeal. Bring forth the complaint. Make the appeal. Be bold. Be clear. Again, this is the faith. We talked about this last week. The faith of the lament that is able to hold, in, again, in tension what we see and what we know. Is that whining? Is that just whining before God? Is Psalm 10, maybe we should put it that way, is Psalm 10 whining? Before, no. No. It is the heart of a godly man or woman whose chief concern is the glory of God in this broken, fallen world and the good of those who stand in harm's way. That's not whining. That's having a heart's preoccupation for God's good. God's glory and the good of others. 
and praying in a Psalm 10 sort of way. Again, he, the Lord knows, knows our struggle with injustice and is calling us to come to Him with our complaints. Okay, so you, we, we do this. We, we walk through this process. We ask the questions. We express our concerns. We make the appeal. And it's almost as though you get to this point in the psalm and a hush comes. As the psalmist catches his breath and takes stock and reflects and rests assured. Rests assured knowing he has been heard. Let's look at verses 16 through 18. The Lord is king forever and ever. The nations perish from His land. O Lord, You hear the desire of the afflicted. You will strengthen their heart. You will incline Your ear to do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed so that man who is of the earth may strike terror no more. What are the two things that can hold us up? and enable us to pray in, in this way and, and really mean it and feel it and by, by the time we're done to actually rest and know that we have been heard. The reign of the king and the heart of the king. The reign of the king and the heart of the king. And both these things are alluded to here in verses 16 through 18. So the reign of the king, these deep, deep realities that are just, just everlastingly true, His enemies ultimately are weak and frail. As it says there in verse 18, men who are of the earth. His enemies are ultimately but weak and frail, no matter the appearances. And he, his reign knows no boundaries and no end. How is it described there in verse 16? He is king forever and ever. We know these things to be true. We know these things to be true, these deep realities, despite the appearances, despite how it may feel, as to whether or not He hears and to whether or not He will act. We know that He hears and we know that He will act. And we can know that, especially here in this part of the flow unfolding of history, as we as followers of the living God knows so much more than even the psalmist could have known. Because as he was looking forward to Messiah, we know of His coming. We know of His coming. We can see fully, not just partially, but fully of His heart, His heart for the helpless, the extent, the breadth of His love such that He was willing to become helpless Himself such as His commitment to the helpless, that He, God, would become man and subject Himself to all the infirmities and worse, the cruelties of this world and even His people. We can see the extent of His love for his, the heart that He has for the helpless and the extent, the breadth, the depth, the heights of His commitment to bring justice into this world as well because He was willing to take all the injustice of this world upon Himself. So committed is He to bring justice that He was willing to take the load of injustice upon Himself that all things that we included with that would be made right. Friends, that's good news. 
And that enables us, as we go through the complaint, asking our questions and expressing our concern and making our appeal to then rest and know that we've been heard and know that in one way or another, He's going to act. Justice will come, if not in this life, which is but a blip, surely in the next, surely in the next. And this is one of the things that makes the Christian message distinct and beautiful, the fact that we can know with certainty that the Lord hears and will act. I was reading a piece just this past week. Um, it was an interview done with a British pastor, Mark Minel, who was ter- telling the story of, of a dear good friend of, of his named Emma. And, and, and Emma and his, his family lived in the Democratic Republic of the Congo for some number of years. And in the late 90s, that went through a, just a tumultuous transition and the politics and all. And, and so Emma left with his family to go to Uganda and things didn't get much better there once they got settled into that area. And so uh, Pastor Minel begins to relay this story, this conversation that he had with his, his dear friend as they were uh, coming out of that experience of, of being refugees for some number of years in Uganda. I'll just pick it up in the article. Minel said that one evening they met, he and Emma, in the, sanctuary, excuse me, in the seminary's tiny library and started talking. As Emma opened his heart and shared the story of the violence and injustice he had witnessed, he started to openly weep despite the fact that African men never cry in public. Then Emma said these sobering words, You know, Mark, I could never believe the gospel if it were not for the judgment of God because I will never get justice in this world. But I couldn't cope if I was never going to see justice done. Minel commented, we in the West often recoil from God's justice for a very simple reason. We've hardly had to suffer injustice. But most people around the globe recognize that God's justice is praiseworthy and great. Of course, His mercy and redemption are even greater. But we need His perfect justice as well. Friends, as we ache for justice, as we work for justice, as we pray for justice, we can rejoice in knowing that our hearts in the gospel have been set free from the tyranny, the enslavement of thinking it's ours to take justice into our hands. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. And that is beautifully beautifully freeing. It enables us, it impels us to come with Him, come to Him with our complaint, to lament in these ways, to pray and to rest in knowing that we've been heard. We've been heard and He will act. He, he knows our struggles with injustice. He calls us to come to Him with our complaints. Let, let me just leave you with this image. So, we're moving into a time of year, if you're out in East Tennessee and going up the eastern seaboard in that, from that area, uh, hikers, innumerable hikers on the Appalachian Trail, no few moving up from, from Georgia to Maine through the summer months. It's, as you can imagine, exhausting, arduous, uh, really quite, quite difficult. 
roughly some just under 2,200 miles. And many who undertake that, that journey, it's, it's the, it's the uh, time of their lives. It's the realization of a dream that they've had, maybe since childhood, to, to walk the AT. Others, however, are on the trail, they have no idea why they're there. They're just you know, putting one foot in front of the other, just hoping that they don't fall down. But nearly all who would take the whole thing or substantive parts of it recognize that there's no way they're going to be able to complete that journey on their own without the provision of others. And that group of people are called trail angels, families who live relatively near the trail, who come out at random times putting coolers of food and refreshments out there near the trail for any hiker who happens to come by. And most hikers will tell you, those supplies, those provisions are absolutely vital in order to be able to make it on the AT. Okay, what does that have to do with Psalm 10? I'm glad you asked. The the Lord calls us again to, to follow Him. He knows, I've been saying this time and again, He knows our struggle with injustice. Do you know how He knows? Among many other reasons, He knows that we struggle with injustice because He is the one who has been removing our heart of stone and replacing it with a heart of flesh. He is the one who has been restoring our sight such that we can begin to see the injustices of this world with His eyes. He is the one who is at work within us cultivating that holy discontentment. So how does He know that we struggle the way that we do with injustice? Because He's the one who's causing the struggle to take place in the first place because of His work within our hearts. And as the ultimate trail angel calling us to follow Him, He provides what we need along the way on the trail, providing us with a means by which to express our pain in prayer to Him And in the mystery of the working of His ways, as we pray in lament and lodging our complaints to Him, taking those prayers and working through them. Oh, yes, He knows. He knows very well our struggle with injustice. And He calls us to come with our complaint. Let's pray. Lord, You have done and begun a beautiful work. We thank you for having changed and going through the process of changing our hearts to make us increasingly aware and increasingly appalled by what we see. Not just the facts of injustice, but the deeper reasons as to why it is so wrong. And we ask that you would continue to embolden us in our assurance that you hear us and you see, that you send us into this world as your agents, and you invite us and urge us and encourage us to come to you honestly, openly, in prayer, yes, even lodging our complaint. Thank you for such psalms. They amaze us. They amaze us. 
Help us to pray in such ways. These things we ask, Lord Jesus, in your name, the one who became helpless for our sake, the one who has borne the weight of the injustice upon himself and shown us so much of his heart. In your name we pray. Amen.